America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Let's hope it ends off as a great day. It hasn't begun that way. It's begun with the fight in the House of Representatives about whether they should try to proceed without a speaker vacating the speaker's position because Matt Gates has a grudge against Kevin McCarthy. Just moments ago, uh, there was a resolution to table the uh, motion to vacate the speaker's chair. Now, what the heck does that all mean? What is going on? It, it basically is a question about whether or not the House of Representatives is going to function at all or whether we are going to go back to the uh, imminence of shutdowns and breakdowns and shoutdowns that, that, honest to God, I don't understand why anyone would want it. And what's difficult here is that um, basically in in our system of government as it is uh, emerged this was not part of the constitution they never mentioned political parties in the constitution in fact a lot of our founders had a, a contemptuous attitude toward political parties to what they called faction which uh, we weren't supposed to follow but right now because we are divided and closely divided in the House, there are 212 Democrats and 222 Republicans in the House of Representatives. They are all now voting crucially. But what it means is that uh, if there are even uh, 10, uh, frankly, even five Republicans who are defying the speaker or want to get rid of him. And the question that no one has answered, for God's sake, is, okay, let's say they get rid of uh, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House. Then what? Who becomes Speaker? Are you going to turn it over to the Democrats? They are a minority. Republicans, for all of the disappointments of the election that just took place in 2022 last year, last November we had an election. The Republicans were supposed to win. Remember the big red tidal wave that was going to be spreading across the country? Didn't happen. Republicans lost a seat in the Senate. They lost control or any uh, part, pretense at control or even equal division in the Senate. They lost the Senate to the Democrats, and they gained just barely enough seats in the House to take over the House. But then, remember, there were 15 different votes to try to elect a speaker. They couldn't decide on that. Okay, well, right now, Matt Gates last night, introduced a, a motion to vacate and uh, the, the situation here is that uh, that motion to vacate unless some deal is made which it probably will be to get uh, Democrats to either vote present uh, or to uh, to vote for McCarthy, which is also a possibility, maybe a remote possibility, then you have McCarthy voted away as Speaker. But who becomes the next uh, Speaker of the House? 
Well, Steve Scalise, who is the number two in the House hierarchy, has cancer. He is being treated. He is not ready to assume the job of speaker. God willing, he should have a, uh, a healthy and complete recovery. He is a good guy. He's an incredibly nice man. And if you know Steve Scalise, who's been on this show before, uh, of course, he is a great public servant and a great Republican. But he's not available because he's sick and the whole system is sick. Uh, and they, the Business Insider is reporting that currently it is a secret who would temporarily lead the House if Kevin McCarthy is ousted from power. What do you mean it's a secret? This is supposed to be the people's house. If Kev, Speaker Kevin McCarthy is ousted, his immediate successor is currently a secret. Under House rules, McCarthy previously turned over a list of potential temporary successors that would lead the chamber, boy, some leadership. McCarthy is facing the possibility of becoming the first speaker to be booted from power. The only time that uh, this happened ever before was in 1910. Yeah, that's correct. That's more than 100 years ago. And there was another Republican speaker. They wanted to, uh, to shake him up. They had a motion to vacate. But it didn't pass. He stayed as speaker. His name was Joe Cannon. He was actually a fairly effective speaker. Kevin McCarthy is an effective speaker. He deserves credit. We do not have a shutdown government right now. We do not have a Republican Party that is absolutely splintered or discredited as it would have been if we had gone into a useless, pathetic shutdown for dummies, as the Wall Street Journal called it. Right now, there is a, a, a great piece by Newt Gingrich, who knows something about the House of Representatives. He, of course, was a very successful speaker. He uh, was a successful Republican leader. In 1994, he got the Republicans' control of the House of Representatives for the first time in, well, 1994, they had previously had brief control in 1952. So that was the first time in nearly a half century. And Newt Gingrich now has written a piece. He says Republicans must expel Matt Gates. And uh, he writes that Matt Gates is an anti-Republican who has become actively destructive to the conservative movement. Uh, to the conservative movement and to the country. And to the country, this um, uh, we, we'll play you. If we can play Matt Gates on the steps of the Capitol last night, uh, and what what a strange duck. Uh, this is um, clip nine, Matt Gates. You all get all worked up that there's going to be some uncomfortable, chaotic moment that I'll feel pressure from conservatives or Democrats or whomever, I feel the judgment of history. I feel the weight of that. I worry that when the history books are written about this country going down, that my name is going to be on the board of directors here. And if this country's going down and if we're losing the dollar, I am going down fighting. And I don't care if that means fighting Republicans, Democrats, the Uniparty, the leadership, the PACs, the lobbyists. I've had it. I've been here seven years. We don't have a budget. We haven't had one since the mid-90s. I am through with it. I apologize for using that word, but the only path forward here is 
to have single subject spending bills that can be reviewed, amended, considered. And I think that is the responsible way that our legislatures all over this country operate for good reason. Okay, a single subject spending bills, fine. Why not? But why does that require the vacation of the speaker? And when they say vacation, vacating. It's not a vacation like you go down to Disney World. Oh, that's controversial, too. Uh, the uh, It's currently a secret who would temporarily lead the House of Kevin McCarthy is ousted from power. Uh, the... A senior fellow named Josh Huder, a senior fellow at the Government Affairs Institute at Georgetown University, uh, wrote on X, which is formerly known as as Twitter, the speaker pro tem, in other words, the temporary speaker, could stay in the chair. There's not a forcing mechanism for a new election, nor are there any overt restrictions on the power the pro tem speaker would wield. The support of the conference would dictate the durability of this. Uh, The difficulty with the support of the conference is that right now, overwhelmingly, the Republicans in the House of Representatives support Speaker McCarthy. Uh, There are 11 Republicans. Uh, We can name them very quickly. Warren Davidson, Eli Crane, Ken Buck, Victoria Sparks, Andy Biggs, Matt Rosendale, Matt Gates, Bob Good, Nancy Mace, Tim Burchett, and Andy Ogles. By the way, Lauren Bobert hasn't voted. I don't know if she is out with vaping. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better. Michael Medved show. In addition to everything else, stocks have been tumbling uh, today as Treasury yields hit their highest level since 2007, raising concern that higher interest rates would freeze the housing market and tip the economy into a recession. Uh, We're going to be speaking sometime soon with economic analyst uh, Peter Coy, who has uh, written extensively about whether we are on the verge of a recession. Uh, Certainly this um, battle on the House floor is not helping anything, anything. Uh, A um, a moments ago, uh, the uh, uh, there was a vote on the House floor and uh, a vote in, in which there were 11 Republicans who voted against tabling the resolution to vacate. Okay, what does this all mean? Uh, what, what, this, what this means is that if the resolution to vacate passes, then there's nobody sitting in the speaker's chair, and we don't know who is speaker, and apparently it's a secret. There's a secret list somewhere as to who takes over temporarily. I mean, it's 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 all a terrible situation. But there were eleven Republicans, name them for you, um, and eleven Republicans who voted against the resolution to table, which is to put this whole question about unseating Kevin McCarthy, putting that aside. It's nutty. The whole situation is nutty. 
because Kevin McCarthy has drawn almost universal praise. I mean, praise from people who would never uh, honor a Republican speaker because he was able to keep the government open and to avoid this idiotic government shutdown, which would have made life more difficult for every single American, harmed our life savings, uh, damaged the country. In, in fact, uh, Representative Tom Cole is one of the Republicans who are aligned with McCarthy. And it's clearly a uh, of the 222 Republicans who are part of the Republican caucus who dominate the House. It's 222 people. Of those, there were 11 who voted against McCarthy. So you're talking about uh, overwhelming this 20 to 1, the support for McCarthy among Republicans. And Representative Tom Cole of Oklahoma spoke moments ago on the House floor about what a sad day, this great day in the greatest nation on God's green earth. What a sad day this is turning into. Uh, listen. My uh, friend from Virginia, this is a very sad day. And certainly a day I never expected to have to live through. You know, I think broadly speaking, as I look across this floor, you can divide members into three groups. I'm very happy to be in the first group. The overwhelming majority of my party supports the speaker that we elected. We're proud of the leadership he's shown. We're proud of the manner in which he's been willing to work with everybody in our conference and, I believe, in this chamber. There's a second group, small group. Uh, honestly, uh, they're willing to, ca to plunge this body into chaos and this country into uncertainty for reasons that only they really understand. I certainly don't. Think long and hard before you plunge us into chaos, because that's where we're headed if we vacate the speakership. Okay, uh, speakership, uh, a prior speaker with a distinguished record and somebody also who, by the way, worked together with Bill Clinton, with a Democrat, to settle a uh, one of the earlier uh, government shutdowns. I'm talking about Newt Gingrich. And Newt Gingrich uh, has just written for the Washington Post, it's just posted at the Washington Post, a call to expel Matt Gates from the Republican caucus. And he writes that uh, Gates, uh, no, he's not expelling from the nation, though. I, I, I'm not sure that's, that's possible. Uh, and no, I mean, I, I know that President Trump would say that... Uh, he deserves the death penalty, but President Trump wouldn't say that because we have no idea what President Trump is saying about this entire conflict, though he does appear to favor the rebels in the Republican group in Congress. But we don't know because he's busy in court where uh, basically there's nobody who's contesting the evidence that he... Uh, inflated his net worth by two billion dollars two billion dollars two thousand million dollars or more uh, there's also news about Trump's current standing among Americans wealthiest we'll get to that but in any event Luke Gingrich writes Matt Gates knows he can't possibly get a majority of the House GOP conference to his side he is simply violating the rules 
in the pursuit of personal attention and fundraising. I served 20 years in the House, says Newt Gingrich, including four years as Speaker. On occasion, I fought against the GOP establishment. I led the fight against President George Herbert Walker Bush and his 1990 tax increase after he had broken his word about no new taxes. I felt bound to stay with my commitment to the American voters. Unlike Gates, though, when I rebelled, I represented the majority view of the caucus at the time. Gates's motion to remove McCarthy should be swiftly defeated, and then he should be expelled from the House Republican Conference. House Republicans have far more important things to do than entertain one member's ego. Well, a amen to that. Um, Meanwhile, there is this announcement. Uh, Donald Trump is no longer rich enough to be included in the Forbes 400, an annual ranking of America's wealthiest individuals. That's what uh, Forbes magazine announced today. Trump is still a billionaire, with Forbes estimating his net worth at $2.6 billion. Uh, and... Uh, but that's down from the magazine's estimate a year earlier that the real estate tycoon was valued at $3.2 billion, which earned him a place on the 2022 rich list. Okay, what is the significance of all of this with a Trump standing uh, trial and coming back to the trial uh, today? And uh, again, not... Uh, tremendous warmth and understanding between President Trump and Letitia James, the Attorney General of of New York, who was prosecuting him, and for Judge uh, Angoran, who uh, is uh, getting a great deal of uh, publicity as the judge responsible for this case. What's the impact on the fight on Ukraine? And uh, what about the cutting off of aid? We'll talk to Max Boot about that, syndicated columnist, coming up. You wouldn't be a choice of mine either, to be honest with you. I hope you're not insulted. I would not, under any circumstances, have any interest in you. Michael Medved. I'm honest when I say it. You're a disgrace. is a historian, a first-rate historian, I should tell you, a best-selling author and a foreign policy analyst who has been called one of the world's leading authorities on armed conflict by the International Institute for Strategic Studies. He is the Gene J. Kirkpatrick Senior Fellow for National Security Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations, and he's a columnist for the Washington Post. Uh, yesterday, I shared with you um, a, a very important opinion piece that he wrote in the Post where he suggested Ukraine aid is a great investment. Don't let MAGA Republicans end it. Uh, Max Boot, where do we stand right now? I mean, reading the newspapers, it would require some action from Congress, would it not, 
to restore that $6 billion in aid that had been agreed upon before that the Ukrainians are depending on, that's going to require some action by Congress which doesn't look capable of any kind of action of any kind at the moment. What's going on? Well, that, that's, a great, that's a great issue, Michael. It's kind of hard to say what is going on since Kevin McCarthy seems to be in the process of being deposed or maybe not really hard to say at this point. But, you know, the House is kind of gripped by chaos. And so you can't move legislation while that's going on. But the imperative is there to move a funding bill for Ukraine because of the Ukrainians right now are on the front lines. They don't take breaks uh, to engage in political debates. They don't take breaks to, uh, you know, to mug before the cameras on CNN. They're fighting for their lives against this Russian onslaught, and they need the ammunition. They need the support that uh, we have told them we will provide. And I think there there is roughly a two-thirds majority in both houses to so keep supporting aid for Ukraine. But kind of the the, uh, the chaos in the House is preventing that legislation from going to the floor and therefore leaving Ukraine in the lurch. One of the points that you make in your column, which is tremendously important, there are two things that are worth repeating to people, is first of all, uh, when you take total all of America's aid to Ukraine over the last two years since the invasion, uh, it, it amounts to less than 1%. It involves, amounts to six-tenths of 1% of our national expenditures. And also recently, uh, the Europeans have been contributing more in total to the support of Ukraine than the U.S. Have I gotten that right? That's exactly right, and that punctures you know, two of the biggest MAGA myths about aid to Ukraine because uh, the folks who are opposed to that spending claim, oh, you know, we're spending too much, we can't afford it, we need to spend on the southern border or other priorities, but it's not either or. I mean, this is a tiny expenditure uh, in, in the context of the entire federal budget, as you said, six-tenths of one percent of federal spending, uh, and it's not as if we're doing this alone. There's always that complaint, you know, the Europeans or other allies are not doing enough. Well, in this case, they're actually doing more than we are, but we still have an essential role to play because even between the U.S. and Europe combined, we're having a hard time keeping up with Ukraine's ammunition requirements because they just need a lot of artillery to fire back against the Russians who are invading their country and firing a lot of artillery at them. So, you know, we need to work together with our allies on this. Both sides are committed. Uh, and we could, this is certainly something that we can afford. Not only can we afford it, we need to we need to keep doing this because it's really the best foreign policy investment I've seen us make since the end of the Cold War. I mean, we spent so many countless trillions of dollars on misadventures in places like Iraq or Afghanistan uh, in other initiatives that didn't work out. This one is actually working. The Ukrainians are fighting hard. They're fighting successfully. They're repelling this Russian onslaught. And in the process, they're fighting for our values and defending our allies and defending us and standing up for for the things that we believe in. So this is this is a cause we need to keep supporting. You are a great and outspoken American patriot. It comes off across in your writing. It comes across in your work generally. Do you do you understand what the fascination is with a certain segment of the Republican Party, and it, it does not appear to be true about 
any of the Democrats who uh, seem to be sympathetic to Vladimir Putin, who is the most dangerous dictator in the world at the moment. Why would uh, why would Americans, especially American conservatives, people who are part of the, the the heritage of Ronald Reagan, why would those people have sympathy for the evil empire? That's a great question, to which I don't have a good answer. I mean, I think in recent years, uh, Putin has mounted a propaganda campaign in the West to convince some gullible right-wingers that he is a champion of, quote-unquote, Christian values, even though in reality he is a war criminal who has you know, no devotion to any values other than uh, his own self-interest. Uh, and unfortunately, his number one fan in the West has been Donald Trump. And, and I can't explain how or why Trump fell under Putin's spell, but clearly he has. He's often praised Putin for being so smart and so brilliant and so great and so forth. Uh, and, of course, Trump is by far the dominant figure within the Republican Party, so a lot of Republicans are following him into this pro-Putin position, which just leaves me aghast and frustrated because, you know, uh, I, I grew up in the days of Ronald Reagan denouncing the evil empire. And now to see so many Republicans, uh, you know, willing to abandon the fellow democracy to today's evil empire, I think is just a travesty. The John Kirby, a spokesperson for the National Security Agency, uh, said it is imperative that we help the Ukrainians take advantage of every single day. A lapse in support for even a short period of time can make all the difference on the battlefield, just as creating such a lapse in support will make um, Vladimir Putin believe he can wait us out and that he can continue the conflict until we and our allies and partners fold. Do you think uh, Kirby is right about that danger? Absolutely. I mean, the, the irony is that a lot of Republicans, including Trump, are saying, you know, we need to end the war. We need to negotiate an, a, a solution and into the war. But in fact, their actions are making it impossible or more difficult to negotiate a, a political outcome to the war because they're basically encouraging Putin to believe that the will of the West is flagging and that he can lead us out, that, you know, if he just keeps on fighting, that Republicans will cut off Ukraine and then the Ukrainians will be at his mercy. That's not how you encourage negotiations. The way to get negotiations is to make clear to Putin that the West will never waver, that we will always stand behind Ukraine, that he cannot win this militarily. And so he needs to retreat and, and reach a political accommodation with Ukraine instead of trying to destroy it. But unfortunately, you know, everything that Putin is seeing in Washington right now is only going to encourage him to more aggression in Ukraine and possibly beyond. Uh, last question. Uh, you're finishing a biography of Ronald Reagan. Uh, what would what would Reagan say about this current situation and the hesitation to provide uh, this battlefield support that we've promised? Well, I'm sure he would have said many of the same things that he said in the 1980s when Democrats tried to cut off the Contras or some of the other uh, anti-communist movements that he wanted to support. It was, you know, some variation of there you go again. But I think he would have been astonished to find today that it's the Democrats who want to support the victim of Russian aggression. And it's so many of the Republicans who want to abandon a country like Ukraine 
to the tender mercies of the Kremlin. I don't think he would have just, he couldn't have computed that. It just would have been such a, such a absurdity for him that I, I don't even know how he would come to grips with that. Or as his great colleague Margaret Thatcher said, don't go wobbly on us. Uh, Max Boot, his piece is posted at our website at michaelmedved.com. Ukraine aid is a great investment. Find out why. We'll uh, uh, continue the conversation coming up. More breaking news. <laughs> the term breaking news is very appropriate because most of the uh, news indicates that something is broken here. Uh, the Congress of the United States broken. Uh, the, um, the, the whole system uh, of government uh, right now needs repair. And uh, this is breaking news from uh, New York City. The uh, judge, uh, that's uh, Arthur uh, Angoran, uh, the judge overseeing former President Trump's New York fraud trial, issued a limited gag order for all parties today. This after Trump's Truth Social account uh, issued a post targeting the judge's principal clerk while that clerk sat just a few feet away from Donald Trump in the courtroom because Trump is in the courtroom. Judge Arthur Angoran issued the gag order. It bars Trump and any party in the case, including his lawyers or the opposition lawyers, the prosecution, anyone, from posting or speaking publicly about members of the judge's staff. This after Trump released personally identifying information about his principal clerk on Truth Social while the hearing was underway. Uh, you don't think that's a serious matter? I mean, it obviously is. When you, when you understand how passionately uh, some people feel uh, in support of President Trump. And uh, you'll recall that after the warrant was served on Mar-a-Lago, there was a warrant for the FBI to come in and uh, check on some of the papers that were still there, even though we had been told by President Trump they weren't. Right after that happened, there was a crazy person who broke into the FBI offices in Cincinnati, Ohio, and killed an FBI agent. He himself was shot dead, I believe. But again, all, all of this right now, issuing personally identifying information about a clerk to the judge because he's presiding over a uh, proceeding that... President Trump doesn't like. In fact, President uh, Trump spoke about this uh, last night. The uh, um, president was speaking in Anaheim, California, and uh, he had uh, this to say. This is clip four. What they've done is they've 
gone after opponents so that if you become president or some other job, but if you become president and you don't like somebody or if somebody's beating you by 10, 15 or 20 points like we're doing with crooked Joe Biden, let's indict the mother. Let's indict. Uh, okay, there haven't been prior indictments of presidents of the United States or former presidents of the United States. It just hasn't happened. This is unique. It's a, uh, one of President Trump's distinctions. Uh, there's actually a powerful uh, peace contribution by a Nobel Prize winner, and the Nobel Prizes are coming out today. Uh, Robert Kennedy is not happy because the first Nobel Prizes have been given to two of the scientists, uh, Drew Weissman of University of Pennsylvania and uh, his colleague, who is Hungarian originally. She's Hungarian-American. But in any event, uh, they have um, received Nobel Prizes, which is the most prestigious and uh, the wealthiest, the most uh, lavish award given out anywhere. They got their Nobel Prizes for contributing to the COVID vaccine. <laughs> Again, with all of the talk about Robert Kennedy uh, now running as an independent, and that apparently is true. It has not been denied by Robert Kennedy, not running for the Democratic nomination anymore, running as an independent. What does it all mean? We will be talking about it. But Paul Krugman, who is also a Nobel Prize winner, he won a Nobel Prize in economics. He is uh, not a conservative. He is a, a left-leaning economic thinker. But he uh, writes in his column that uh, uh, hardliners, both in Congress and outside, claim to be upset about the amount that we're spending supporting Ukraine. But if they really cared about financial burden of aid, they'd make the minimal effort required to get the numbers right. No, aid to Ukraine isn't undermining the future of Social Security or making it impossible to secure our border or consuming 40% of America's GDP, as some have claimed. How much are we actually spending to support Ukraine? In the 18 months after the Russian invasion, USA totals 77 billion. That's humanitarian aid and military aid combined. That may sound like a lot. It is a lot compared with the tiny sums we usually allocate to foreign aid. But total federal outlays are currently running at more than $6 trillion a year or more than $9 trillion every 18 months. So Ukraine aid accounts for less than 1% of federal spending and less than 0.3%, one-third of 1% of GDP. The military portion of that spending is equal to less than 5% of America's defense budget. But back to the cost of aiding Ukraine. Given how small a budget item that aid is, writes Paul Krugman, uh, claims that aid to Ukraine somehow make it impossible to do other necessary things, such as securing our border. Those claims are nonsense. MAGA types aren't known for getting their numbers right or, for that matter, caring whether they get their numbers right. But I doubt that even they really believe that the monetary costs of helping Ukraine are insupportable. 
And the benefits of aiding a beleaguered democracy are huge. Remember, before the war, Russia was widely viewed as a major military power, which a majority of Americans saw as a critical threat and whose non-woke military some Republicans exalted. That power has now been humbled. Why then do MAGA politicians want to cut Ukraine off? The answer, says Paul Krugman, is unfortunately all too obvious. Whatever Republican hardliners may say, they want Putin to win. They view the Putin regime's cruelty and repression as admirable features that America should emulate. Could that be true of some people on the extreme Putin apologist caucus? They support, he writes, a wannabe dictator at home and are sympathetic to actual dictators abroad. So pay no attention to all those complaints about how much we're spending in Ukraine. They aren't justified by the actual cost of aid. And the people claiming to be worried about the cost don't really care about the money. What they are basically is enemies of democracy, ouch, both abroad and at home. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, certainly not among them. Early this morning, he was worried about the chance that he would be ousted as House Speaker. That fight is still going on. But he says that uh, only a few Republicans would need to side with the Democrats to uh, destroy him. Uh, this is a uh, reporter asking uh, whether he needs Democratic help to remain in leadership. This is clip 10. Expecting Democrats to back you up then? No, I, I personally am not. Do you need their help to remain in leadership? No. Um, if five if five Republicans go with Democrats, then I'm out. So it's what it's it's Not whether likely. probably so. Uh, again, right now there's more than five Democrats. Uh, to four than five Republicans, there are eleven Republicans who have been taking the other side, the opposition side. And by the way, w that doesn't mean we're going to get a Democratic speaker. It means that. The speaker's position uh, may be vacant for who knows how long. So what does the House Democratic leader, Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrat from Brooklyn, what does he have to say about this entire situation? We will get to that and to more. Is a recession on the way? All coming up for discussion in this greatest nation on God's green earth.